And welcome to another exciting edition of Battleground Florida. I am Christopher Heath, and uh, well, election day has come and gone. The uh, the counting of the ballots still still goes on in all fifty states right now. Although we are quite obviously paying much more attention to just a handful of them right now: Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada. Technically, Alaska's you know only at about fifty percent or so right now, but nobody's really expecting that uh, the Democrats are going to take Alaska. And North Carolina still has a couple more to count, but definitely looks like Donald Trump carries North Carolina, and Tom Tillis probably carries it as well. Um, if you're wondering why I bring all of this up, besides the fact that it is top of the mind right now, it is because we're talking about polling, and um, I'm looking right now at the Real Clear Politics average for Florida, and if you look at the pollsters and their average polling for Joe Biden, it nailed it. And, and, and hear me out here. The polling average for Joe Biden heading into election night in Florida was 47.9. He ends up with 47.8. That being said, the polling average for Donald Trump in Florida was 47.0, and he ends up with 51.2. Not exactly a great showing there. And if you look at the polls that actually had Trump winning, there were a couple that had him winning, but you really have to go back to mid to late October. ABC News, Washington Post had a really good poll that had Trump plus two with 50% of the vote and Joe Biden with 48. Um, they pretty much nailed the Joe Biden number and they were about a point and a half off on Trump. Pretty good there for ABC News, Washington Post, although if you look at some of their other polls in other battleground states, not quite as exact. Um, this, of course, has brought up a lot of people pointing to the 2016 election when the statewide polls were, uh, I believe the technical term is hot garbage, and missed a lot of just outside outside of the realm of possibility kind of stuff happening that was actually happening you know we dismissed a lot of things and it came to fruition in 16 and um you know listen some of the same problems that existed then st still exist now and uh so to discuss some of this i have coming onto the podcast today the uh, head of polling over at the University of North Florida, Michael Bender. He has been uh, he's been somebody that I have relied on during this election cycle, not just when UNF drops a poll, but also you know to kind of break down what we're seeing in the trend lines. And um, you know he's very candid about his final poll. Their final poll came out in early to mid October. Had Joe Biden plus one. Obviously that did not pan itself out. But we talk about what the polls got right, which was. A couple of things. Um, we also talk about what the polls got wrong. And more importantly, where do we go from here? Because polling's not going anywhere, but people need to believe that the polls are accurate and they're being done in the best way possible. So we talk a little bit about that and um, what happens going forward. Enjoy. All right, so let's, uh, let's take a look at um, polling this cycle seemed to be hit or miss some were better than others what 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 would you, what's your take on the way 2020 transpired as we look back at it versus say 2016 well we're not quite at the as we look back on it stage yet well, we're still calculating we're still looking and some you know some numbers are still coming in this, the overall national numbers are going to be a little better for biden as california finish counts their mail ballots but all that being said some polls were very good uh, not that many, to be perfectly frank with you. Uh, but the real problem 
was that the misses tended to push in one direction. Most folks tended to overestimate support for Joe Biden. And that is problematic, not only because of the president is you know, making all sorts of accusations that aren't necessarily true, but because the errors from 2016 that we thought as an industry we had collectively solved appeared not to be the case, uh, or at least the corrective measures that we took did not solve the problem for 2020. And trying to figure out what that missing piece is and how we can do better next time is what the next couple of months are going to be devoted to by this industry. I will say this, 2018, it seemed like the polling got much better, that most polls were, you know, really close or within the margin of error. But then we jump forward two more years and all of a sudden you have people saying they're just as bad as they were in 16. I don't know that that's necessarily fair, although some, some did not cover themselves in glory coming out of this. No, certainly. And listen, there were the problem isn't that one poll is good or one poll is bad or the polls get painted with broad brushstrokes because listen, that's just the way it is, right? That the quarterback of the team is going to get all the blame and all the credit when they win or lose when in fact it might've been the defense that gave up the score late. Uh, so we understand that even though our polls may be okay, other polls might be good. If the majority of them are not, and they weren't. Listen, there are absolutely some polls that were very, very good. But if you look at a lot of the polls that had high ratings on 538 coming into this, you know, they're missing by almost six points. And, and a lot of that is pushed toward Joe Biden. If it was some on one side and some on the other, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It, it would average out. But the fact that it's all in one direction is really problematic. And for people to say otherwise, uh, they're, they're just misleading you. And, and that comes from somebody who does this, right? My poll wasn't great. We had Biden plus one, he, he, Trump finishes plus three, out, just outside the margin of error, but it doesn't matter, right? It's the directionality of that miss that's similar to 2016 that, that really bothers me and is driving us to figure out what the situation is and how we can be better. How much of this do you think is the fact that if the poll shows, let's say Trump plus one and he wins plus three, nobody cares. But if it shows Biden plus one and then Trump wins plus two or plus three, it's like, oh, that's a huge miss. Not really, because, you know, that margin of error cuts both ways. It's just, is it just the fact that if it shows one person ahead, even though it's ever so slightly, if the other person wins, it's a disaster. Whereas if it shows you ahead ever so slightly and then you win by a bigger margin, nobody cares. That's 100% true. Uh, if, if now again, this is Florida, right? So most of these races are really close. And if we come up with somebody plus one and they lose by one, we missed, it's terrible, we're bad. Mind you, if we had that person plus two and they won by four, we're heroes. And, and I understand that. Like I understand that's how this game is played. And, and I don't begrudge anybody and I'm not up here crying foul. But that being said, you know, being four points off isn't horrific, it's not good. It's really bad because it's the same direction of the error as the vast majority of everybody else had, which leads there to be leads me to believe that there is something systematically that's being missed. And this isn't just phone polls or the robocall polls or web polls or people that use live callers or people that dial cell phones or not. It seems to be across the board and there doesn't necessarily seem to be oh, at least not at first blush, there doesn't seem to be a, oh, here's the silver bullet in how to fix this. And, you know, I have some thoughts, I have some ideas, but none of them have been borne out by data yet. And we're going to be spending some time trying to figure out what those are. 
It seems like in 16, the big takeaway for the polling industry was the, not enough sampling for non-college educated whites, adjusting their sample sizes. And a lot of them did that going into 18 and it seemed to be working. And then you stick with that same model heading into 2020 and it just blows up on you again, which gets, I guess, to what you just said, which is we don't quite know what exactly we need to fix yet, but we're taking a hard look. Absolutely. And you are 100% correct. Uh, you know, it, people are pointing, well, maybe it's just Trump being on the ballot and just as Trump phenomena. That's not a good enough reason for me. Right now, so our polls, you know, we're off with President Trump, but for the ballot measures, we got them all. We were off by a point or two, you know, 69, we had 67 or something like that, but we got them all close and close ones too, right? We had Amendment 2 at 60, it came in at 61. We had the, uh, the nonpartisan primaries coming, we had that at 58, it came in at 57. I mean, we did great on a whole host of issues except for the presidential race. And, but the problem is that's the biggest one, right? Oh, it's, it's, you're the Buffalo Bills of the early 90s. You know, you're this great team, but you come up small in the biggest of spots and that's what you're judged by. Um, how much of it is to, you project when you're doing a poll, what election day turnout's gonna look like. And you say, okay, we think that this many people are gonna show up. If turnout's really low, that's bad because all of a sudden you don't know who's not showing up. Same way, if turnout's really high, it's how many people? Because I think Echelon Insights, uh, Kristen Solis Anderson's group, is projected something like 157, and it may be 158 when it's all said and done. Does a crazy turnout year where it's really high like this, does that mess with you? Because you're looking at an electorate that is hard to really gauge. Absolutely. That's the one thing about all election polling is you don't know ultimately what that sample is going to look like. You can guess, you can estimate, you can figure or, or think about, but we truly do not know. That being said, going into this election, you know, Florida is going to be right around 77%. Maybe it creeps up to 78 when you're done counting everything as far as percentage of registered voters goes, which isn't that far off from a number that I expected. I expected it to be higher than 2016 which was right around 75. I did not expect it to be upwards of 80, like some people were talking. Uh, and, and so it was kind of in that number that we didn't, now the, the one part that we don't know is, you know, what does that mix look like of Democrats to Republicans, whites to blacks to Hispanics? What does the Hispanic breakdown look like within the Hispanic community? Was it heavily Cuban? Was it more Puerto Rican? You know, those are things that it's gonna take a little bit of time to figure all this stuff out because we have to, guess essentially at what that's going to look like too. And if your Hispanic mix is off and you don't have enough Cubans or you don't think enough Cubans are going to show up relative to everybody else, that's going to underweight Republicans, particularly this year. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it. All that said, you know, we got to figure out what the heck is going on because a consistent bias toward one side is tremendously problematic and people are going to think about you know, the work that we do is not being credible. And when that happens, you know, that's the death knell for this industry. Mark Caputo had a tweet that I thought was pretty interesting. And he said, Trump's kind of like radiation in, in so much as that he throws off the Geiger counters on both sides, that, that the, the, the ability to kind of get your true north on the left and the right goes haywire because of him on the ballot. Is there some of that? And is that is that part of, you know, I've heard a lot of people dismiss this idea of the shy Trump voter, but is that as part of it too as well? So 
the short answer is I don't know just yet. And part of me looks at this and says, the Democrats that we talked to are 95% plus said they were going to vote for Biden. The Republicans that we talked to were 95% plus said that they were going to vote for Trump. So the Republicans we're getting are not shy and are not shy about saying who they're voting for. And there wasn't this big mass exodus to Biden, at least those amongst our respondents in Florida. The one concern I do have is that it certainly is, looks like, and we've seen this for a couple of cycles now, Republicans may be a little bit less likely to answer the phone and talk to us. Now, that doesn't necessarily matter because we could just call more Republicans and, and get the ones that talk to us. The problem comes amongst the NPAs, which are about a third of the electorate here in Florida. They were a, a little, you know, 23-ish percent of those that showed up. The folks there, if they're behaving like partisans and the Republican-leaning NPAs are less likely to talk to us, we don't know who they are because we only have their, you know, their basic demographics and some NPA characteristics to them. If they are less likely to answer and Democrats are relatively more likely to answer in the NPA pile, we might get a higher mix of NPAs leaning left than we would that is truly reflective of the population. But again, I don't know that for sure. And we're just starting to dive into the data now. There are some who would look at this and say, well, why not if you know, and I know Trump will not be on the ballot in 2024. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we don't maybe, think. We maybe, don't maybe, think. maybe not. Uh, but, but let's just say for the sake of argument that he's not on the ballot in 2024. But there would be some who would look at this and say, well, why not just take your raw numbers when you get them in and you're about to put out your poll and right before you put it out, just slap two points off the Democrat, give two to the Republican, and that way you're correcting for past mistakes. That seems like it's very poor science, but it also it's seems like- It's terrible science is the problem, right? <laughs> the, the, the whole goal of this is to be reflective of the population. And now listen, I, I fully understand that things change by the time we do our last poll and the ultimate election occurs. But we're not here guessing the outcome. We're here telling you, these are the respondents. This is what they said based on our projections of what the electorate's going to look like. Here's what we think happens if the election were held today. All that being said, I'm not ever going to just slap points on a poll because I don't like the way it looks. You know, we came out with an online poll in early, Feb in early October and it was plus five Biden. And I was you know, I, I was talking to folks and I said, I don't believe this number. I do not think it's going to be plus five. It's Florida. It's going to be much closer than that. But that's what the data said based on all of our best assessment. So you have to put that out. All that, you know, kind of circling back, we need to do better at figuring out what that electorate looks like and capturing everybody in it, even if some folks are less willing to be captured. How much of it too is it can you be that you probably like i hear a lot of people say you, in florida especially you have to oversample hispanics you have to really go out there and not just go and try and get a cuban versus puerto rican mix but have people on the phone who are speaking spanish because a lot of you know a lot of uh, the latino vote in florida maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to somebody who speaks english but they'll talk to a pollster who speaks spanish it just makes it a heavier lift absolutely and, and we obviously employ a, a bunch of Spanish callers, but it's not just speaking Spanish, right? There is different dialects and that impacts response rates. So if you're Cuban, you have a particular dialect to your Spanish language. If you're Puerto Rican, it's different. 
If you're Mexican, it's different. If you're Venezuelan, it's different. And that, that really complicates the mix because the folks that are more likely to respond to you, if there is a group that's hesitant and you don't get them in their native dialect, they're less likely even more so than to pick up the phone. We might go get another Cuban to kind of fill that box, so to speak, but they might be, they might have very different preferences. And to be fair, listen, the, the Latino specific polling, the polls of just South, like South Florida Latinos or Florida Latinos in general, for weeks, even months was screaming, Trump is overperforming, Biden is underperforming. And then on election night, we all sat back and were, you know, stroking our beards and saying, well, he's underperforming. I didn't see this coming. The polling screamed at us. Biden's got a, a Latino problem. Trump's doing very well. Right. But even if you just take that out, polls are still wrong, right? Like it picks up a point. I mean, it's a couple hundred thousand votes in Miami-Dade difference. That's not an enormous amount when you think about every, you know, you know, 11 million votes cast in the state, right? So it's not, it's not enough to explain away everything. Might it be part of the issue? Maybe. But our Hispanics, Cubans in particular, were heavily Trump. Venezuelans as well, heavily Trump. And again, you know, I have 17-ish percent of the electorate that showed up. Uh, so, you know, I'm not convinced that that's the silver bullet that explains everything. We just didn't listen and we didn't have enough in our samples. I, I think there's something else going on. And, you know, I'm concerned about, it, you know, and I'm trying desperately to figure out what it is. I'll wrap up with this. Can if you, if you were grading the polling, not just for your outfit, but in general, how would you, what, what grade would you give UNF and what grade would you give the polling industry as a whole? I think I'd give us a C. And, and because we did so well on everything else, and we did okay, right? I mean, four points isn't the worst thing on the planet, but listen, you, you, know, you get judged by what you do in the big spots. And, and I, think, I think we came up short. You know, on average, it depends on the pollster, right? It's like saying football is bad. Well, if you're a Jaguars fan, absolutely. But, you know, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, maybe if you're a Tampa fan, you know, maybe not so bad leaving out last night, of course. <laughs> so, you know, but across the board, I think it's probably a, a, a C minus, maybe I'd say. Uh, part of that is because I, I've heard several folks and they're really kind of passing the buck and they're playing that margin of error game and that sort of thing. And I think, I think they need to be a little bit more upfront about the rules under which this is played. Listen, we, even though there's margin of error, even though we talk about it, we're judged by our point estimates. And if the directionality of those margins of error is all in one direction, that's a problem. We need to figure it out. All right, Michael has moved on. I should have given a better, fuller title for Mike. Uh, Associate Professor, Faculty Director, Public Opinion Research Lab, Political Science and Public Administration, College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Florida. So... There's, there's the full title. No, he's, Mike's one of those guys who just really gets this stuff and uh, his candor with, you know, accepting the fact that, you know, polls were not perfect this time. Um, they, they maybe made a couple of improvements here and there, but yeah, we're, we're, we're still not seeing what we, you know, I think people thought we were going to see coming in. And I mean, even if you look at the national results, I've got the uh, Real Clear Politics National pulled up here and, um, you know, it overestimated Joe Biden and it um, 
underestimated Donald Trump. I mean, the RCP average for national polls was 7.2 going into Election Day. And yeah, we're still counting ballots and things could change because we don't have final numbers, especially out of, you know, especially the Western states. Um, But, you know, it's Biden plus 2.9. And, you know, RCP had him at 7.2 in their average of polls. So something does need to be addressed there. And, um, you know, figure out what's going on and in all of this, you know, and as Michael pointed out, and it's, it's worth noting, um, you know, his polling and their data came back and was spot on with the six constitutional amendments in Florida. And I know that's not the sexiest part of the election. Everyone's looking at the top of the ticket. That's what people care about. But, you know, still managed to get those right on the money. Uh, which means that there's still a value to this. But um, I think the question going forward, especially in Florida in 2022, when we will have all four of our um, cabinet level positions up for re-election, governor, uh, CFO, attorney general, and ag commissioner, as well as Senator Marco Rubio will be up for re-election, will be, um, you know, what uh, do we trust what we're getting out of this? Do we trust the polling that's coming out of it? Um, because there's going to be more of it, and we're going to want to know where things are at and kind of take the temperature of the electorate going into 2022. And then 2024, we will have another presidential election. So that'll be another thing to look at. So anyway, um, as we sit here today, uh, Joe Biden has been um, projected to be the winner by the Associated Press as well as ABC News and several other outlets. Um, As I record this right now, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, has not conceded anything. In fact, his campaign continues to assert that they're going to pursue all legal uh, means that they can to to root out what they say is voter fraud. And um, they're going to be fighting, I think, four battles on four fronts in four different states with four different sets of circumstances. But we'll see where this thing plays itself out. The Electoral College doesn't meet for several more weeks. And obviously, Inauguration Day is not until January. So this doesn't have to be decided this afternoon, but um, it definitely looks far more better, far more better. Ooh. It definitely looks better for the uh, Biden campaign than it does for the Trump campaign, at least where things stand now. Listen, straight line projections and all that. We'll see where it goes. But anyway, um, I appreciate everybody sticking with me on these things. I know last week I was trying to get a second one in and it just got way too hairy to do that. So going to get this one in today and maybe get another one in later in the week. But Thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to to uh, subscribe to these and follow what they're doing. Uh, I hope they've been you know somewhat you know uh, beneficial to everybody. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I do want to try and get. I had somebody recommend um, a couple guests coming up. I'm going to reach out to them and see if it's possible. It may or may not be, but we'll see what we can get done. And uh, until then, I'll talk to you next time. Thanks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.